you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, hi, this is Dan Miller. Hey, stick with us. If you need a major tune-up, an overhaul, Maybe you just need an oil change or some new spark plugs as we go into the new year. Well, no, this is not an automotive show. You know, we could do that sometime, just deal with automotive things. I love the car things, but this is more about a life, getting a tune-up for your life, your work, the things that really matter. We're going to be talking about questions that you've submitted about real-life issues, questions like, Dan, should our daughter go to college when all she wants to do is sing and act? about this i've been at a new job for almost two months now but i found another job that is better dan can you recommend any books or resources to help me with networking and maintaining business relationships hi dan i'm looking to triple my income within the next two years hey there's an aggressive goal dan i'm 31 years old physiotherapist from the netherlands with the opportunity to start a company with my partner and here's one should i Patent my gardening product before I have a prototype. Well, these and more we're going to be talking about in the next few minutes here, where each week I take a look at the questions you have submitted, real life questions about how we can go to higher levels of success in our work and in our lives in general. You know, this is an exciting time of year. This is November. This is the time to be setting your goals. Decide in advance what you want next year to look like i mean this really comes down uh, to that kind of a principle sometimes we think well it just is what it is no we're not victims it is not just what it is it is what we make it if you want different results next year decide now what those results are decide now what you're willing to change in order to get different results don't want to go into the new year just sliding in and kind of see, wait and see what happens. No, this is just like doing a budget. I mean, we have 168 hours in a week. Well, if you, a lot of you listen to my buddy Dave Ramsey and his financial principles, where he tells you if you've got $168, you know that it's coming in next week, decide in advance how you're going to spend that, how you're going to invest that. So you decide in advance. Well, we encourage you to do the same thing with your time. And on a larger scale, you, we've got a whole year looking at us. Decide in advance what you're going to do with those 52 weeks we got coming straight at us here. So an exciting time. I encourage you to have your goals set by November 15th. You can go to the worksheets, the 48days.com site. If you need to open that up, just a free resource, you can open that up. Go through and set goals in seven different areas of your life so you make 2013 The dream come true that you've been waiting on. Well, here's our quotation for the day. This comes from Daniel Burnham. Now, this is a time of year when Joanne and I are always getting excited about going to Chicago. We go to Chicago right before Christmas. Joanne's birthday is the 22nd of December, so I've always made a big deal out of that because obviously as a little girl, nobody celebrates a birthday three days before Christmas. It was kind of overshadowed. So I've always made a big deal out of that. And so for about 25 years, I guess, we've been going to Chicago right before Christmas. Well, Daniel Burnham was the architect that really designed most of the Chicago waterfront. It's beautifully done architecturally, and it preserved a lot of green space there. 
but he has a quotation that I saw at the base of the Sears Tower. I think it's now the Hancock Tower. One of the first years that we went up there, and it says this, make no little plans. They have no magic to stir men's blood and probably will themselves not be realized. He goes on to say, make big plans. But I love that. Make no small plans. They have no magic to stir men's blood. I've seen it to stir men's soul. Make big plans for next year. I mean, those are the things that excite you, that draw you to big accomplishments. Now, every week we start off with some positive things. I mean, I've been uh, chastised by some of you, the listeners, saying that, you know, we talk too much about the challenges, the problems that people are having. Yeah, we want to find solutions for those, but I also want to share with you some of the wins that people are having out there. And I'm on the receiving end of those. We get those in here every day, and it's a delight to see. Just give you a couple here. A lot of, and, and it kind of draws from a principle that I want to illustrate with just two guys that I've, I've talked to this week. The principle being, a lot of times I find people who want a guaranteed salary before they show up for the first day of work. I mean, musicians who you know, just think they have a good voice and they want a big multi-million dollar contract before they've proven their talent. I mean, house cleaners who want to be paid even if you don't need their services or if their services are shoddy. Celebrities who expect a meaningful marriage after a three-day romance. Authors, you know, this is, I mean, it literally happens. Authors who want my endorsement for their book, but they don't want to give me a copy to review. They want me to buy a copy. These are all examples of people who don't understand this principle in life that we have to give first before you receive. I mean, it's like standing in front of the wood stove of life and saying, give me some heat. And then if you do, then I'll think about chopping some wood and putting it in. Well, it just doesn't work that way. Here's a couple of guys who understand that principle. I talked to Andy Traub this week from Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Now he lives there. He doesn't live in some entrepreneurial hotspot. I mean, he's chosen to stay there because of family connections, but he's chosen to carve out things that he can do in a creative and unique and profitable way anyway, and has done that. But he connected with, he he called me probably a year and a half ago and said, he's got this idea where he thinks he can help people be more successful in what they're doing. I helped him make a couple connections. He volunteered to work with a well-known person, celebrity, and helping them in a particular area to increase their market exposure and did it absolutely for free. Believing the principle that doing it for free, other good things would show up. Well, he's now done it for a year for free, but just yesterday got a call from the producer of the guy he's working with who said uh, they appreciate his work. They're going to cut him a very significant check for what he's already done And this is what they'd like to offer for his continuing services moving forward. All in their initiative, nothing Andy negotiated or bargained or begged for. Just he proved the value of his service. They recognize it. And now that's turned into a very lucrative engagement. In the meantime, that person that he's doing the work for free has referred him to five or six other people who have become very profitable clients as well. That's the way it works. Michael Good from Downington, Pennsylvania, quit his job in January this year, and now he is has surpassed his previous income that quickly, giving music lessons. And I ask him, you know, did he just hope that people would show up and pay him? No. Michael says, he says, I filled my schedule by giving free guitar workshops at many of the local libraries. I even have another teacher giving piano lessons now, and I have a true business 
that makes money even while I'm not working. Wow, this was amazing the first time it happened. Now, those are a couple examples. People understand that principle. Joanne and I taught a free weekly seminar called CareerLink here in the Nashville community for over eight years, simply encouraging people, giving them our own copies of information that would help them before the overnight success of 48 Days to the Work You Love. Well, you know it wasn't overnight. It usually isn't, but I find people who understand this principle are doing remarkable things in today's economy, in these circumstances, whatever you, however you want to frame it, and are knocking it out of the park by understanding the principle of giving and then seeing it come back. Well, there's going to be more on that as I go through, but I got a lot of questions here. I want to get right to them. We got some great questions today. This comes from Mark in Jupiter, Florida. Who says, Dan, I have a daughter who's, in high, who's a high school senior and an A student. In the last two years, she has discovered a God-given talent as a singer, and many people have been impressed with her ability. She absolutely loves to sing and truly comes alive when singing. She also loves musical theater. However, she's generally a quiet and not an extremely outgoing person. We absolutely want to, to encourage her to pursue her passion for singing and musical theater. We are currently looking into colleges to major in vocal performance and musical theater. However, looking at the ROI of four years of college, I'm concerned she will end up with a useless degree in debt and have no marketable job skills. Should she go to college for these degrees? Should we invest our money in voice lessons, acting coaches, and an agent instead? What's your advice? Wow. Golly, what a, what a awesome opportunity to be helping decide the future of a son or daughter, Mark. Well, here, here's some just facts I want to just cover real quickly. Nearly 60% of Americans believe that U.S. colleges and universities aren't doing enough to prepare students for the job market. Now, that I just got that in this morning. Uh, furthermore, 90% of employers believe colleges need to raise their student achievement standards. Now, in, in the second presidential debate, Governor Romney said that he said that half of last year's graduating class was either unemployed or seriously underemployed. There's a whole bunch of things. Ten years after graduation, we know that 80% of college graduates are working in something totally unrelated to their college degree. I mean, I spoke yesterday to the ag business majors at Mississippi, Mississippi State University, talking about the changes in the workplace and how even though they're getting a very specific major, it doesn't mean that it's locking them into one career choice only. They're going to have thousands of things they can choose from as years go on and as they know more about themselves and the real world out here. It's difficult to calculate the ROI, the return on investment of college. I mean, that's because so much of it has to do with growing up, maturing, uh, developing discipline, improving personal skills that may not show a direct payback in a paycheck or a job. Those may be things that just subtly shape the direction of your daughter's life over her entire lifetime. Now, I tell people there are two reasons for getting degrees. Number one, so you get a piece of paper, so somebody gives you a job. Number two is for the personal growth and learning that takes place. Now, if you go to college for reason number one only, so you get a piece of paper so somebody gives you a job, chances are pretty high you're going to be disappointed because there's not that kind of direct correlation. 
But if you understand that it's a process of continued personal growth and learning, that can never be taken away. That always is going to have value. My original psychology degree from Ohio State University didn't give me any clear marketable skills, but it set the stage for me to begin this lifelong pursuit that I've been on a personal excellence. And along the way, I discovered the potential in helping other people do the same. Now, you know, Mark, you probably have heard me talk about I look for and solutions. If this were my daughter, I would probably encourage her to go to college for the broader experience and do that first. She's still young. And then if she still had that clear passion for music, singing, acting, then I would explore the coaches and agents. She'll have a much broader view of options at that point, much better understanding of herself, a little time for personal growth and maturity. I think those are valuable parts of preparing her, even if then she does choose a life in music. That's what I would do. Well, this is Dan Miller and the 48 Days Online radio show, where each week we go through some questions here. If you got questions, you can go to the 48days.com site, click on the podcast link, submit your question there. Or you can do it in an audio format. We'll hear some of those here as we go through today's show. You can just click on the little button and just talk and leave your question that way. Make sure to also check out the growing community at 48days.net. We have about 12,000 people there who are doing things in an innovative way, putting legs on their dreams. You can tap into that brain trust there if you're on the same path. Alisa from Cranebridge, Ohio says, Dan, thanks for reading this. I've been at a new job for almost two months, but I found another job that is better. They offer benefits. I feel like I should stay where I'm at because they've given me some nice things like free t-shirts and such but the environment is kind of hard to be in cursing, rude sexual comments spoken daily by employees. Should I take this newer job or stick with the one I just got? Well, Alisa, it does. It, it sounds like the one you just got is, is not a real gem of a job, but there is, I, I think there's an implied agreement when you take a new job, even if the learning curve is fairly short, there's still an implied agreement that you're going to be there for one or two years. Now this varies dramatically. I mean, if, if you walked in and you're working at Taco Bell, I mean, those jobs come and go. People leave quickly. You know, if you're ringing the bell for Salvation Army, there's not a long-term commitment. You can do that and move on. But if you moved into a job that is an administrative role or data input or something like that, chances are they've spent most of the first two months in training with you. And it would be kind of a slap in the face to walk out after that short period of time. Now, another thing is at play here. I encourage employers to bring new people in under a 90-day trial period anyway to really see is this the place you want to work? Uh, who is it? Um, golly, who is it that gives their people an opportunity to take a cash bonus and leave after 90 days? Oh, it's Zappos. That's who it is. Zappos Shoes. I had to think of it. Zappos Shoes. Tony Shy, that company. After somebody's been there for 90 days, they offer people, I think, $4,000. They offer them $4,000 to leave, to go away. The premise, obviously, is 
they want people to be so enamored, so excited about working there that they won't leave even if they get that kind of a cash bonus. So you're really in, still in a 90 day period. So it really wouldn't be a big deal if you just said, yeah, you know, I think that this is not a good fit for me. If you've only been there for two months, that's a really short period of time. If it really involves a kind of environment that you're talking about a toxic negative environment anyway, yeah, I'd say go ahead. Just uh, tell them you're done. They, they probably aren't even going to want a two-week notice. They're just going to say, okay, sorry, it didn't work out, and just go with a better job. You know, Google, another big company, I was just reading recently about some new benefits they have because in as much as we hear about unemployment, it's easy to assume that companies are just being sloppy out here. They got all the people standing at the door that they need to take new positions. No, that is absolutely not true. Companies are desperately looking for people who have clear skills, bring unique value to the table. They're looking for ways to not only attract, but to keep them. Google just recently announced death benefits here's the way it works when an employee dies that person's spouse gets 50 percent of their salary for the next 10 years any children under the age of 19 get a thousand dollars a month as part of that death benefit now that is pretty radical that's that's an innovative thing and it's something that google has added to their already i mean they already have all kinds of innovative things you know free food while you're working there they have foosball tables set up and they have on-site dry cleaning and daycare and all kinds of, they're often that really unique death benefit. There are companies that are getting very aggressive about innovative benefit packages. So trust me, you can negotiate ES even in this environment. Justin from Lansing, Michigan says, Dan, I work in IT requiring, now listen to this setup. How would you like to trade places with Justin? Justin says, I work in IT requiring four hours a day driving and being on call 24-7. I've been denied every vacation request this year, have no quiet time with my family. I'm on edge snapping at my children, trying only my best to be appreciative of my wife. We're going to our first marriage counseling this morning. I have no formal training in IT, and in over two years, I haven't learned much by way of transferable skills. I can't identify anything at least. I worked in retail for 10 years, and now I mostly deal with charities. I have no time to pursue my passion of photography and graphic design as I work 8 a.m. to 9 p.m. I'm good at my passion, but I have very little to show because I have little time to even help around the house. Please help me think this through. I'm falling into darkness. Well, Justin, I agree. My gosh, not only are you falling into darkness, I mean, it's clear the schedule and demands of your current job are obviously killing you and jeopardizing your role as a husband and daddy. Now, I have to assume that you're making, to what, $250,000 a year. Otherwise, I can't see any reason for you to be where you are January 1st. I would immediately begin a job search. And I'm kidding. I, I'm quite confident you're probably not making $250,000 a year. We, we often assume that our income is directly connected to time spent, but we know better. I mean, we hear about people who work smarter rather than harder and people who increase their income while reducing their hours. Don't assume you'll be making less by changing a job with reasonable time requirements. Now, if you love graphic design, find a position in that area. I mean, surely even your experience in IT will add to your positioning as a candidate for graphic design. I know you're busy, but you have to break this negative lock hold on your life. You know, don't wait until you get fired or until you have a car accident because you're sleepy driving home or until you have a heart attack or until you get a divorce. 
mean, don't wait on those crises in your life. Take the initiative. Commit to spending the next 48 days to clarify your focus. Now, I, I'm, as I'm speaking, I'm speaking on a Wednesday, the 14th of November, and this is the 48th day. If you count, count down from today, it's 48 days till we hit January 1st, a new year. I mean, that is enough time for you to work through. And here's what you're going to need to do in that 48 days. Bring, clarify your focus for one thing. If you want to be in graphic design, boom, clarify your focus, bring your resume up to date, identify 30 to 40 target companies, send a letter of introduction, then a cover letter and resume, follow up with a phone call, get interviews, expect three to four offers, negotiate your best next opportunity. Now that's, I gave that to you quickly. You know what? I'll send you a fresh copy of 48 days to the work you love with the audio CD. And there is your job. You're calling just use the principles in there for a job search. You can walk through this, get out of this garbage that you're in. Hey, here's, here's a related question. This comes from Dean. Hi Dan. Uh, my name is Dean and I've listened to a number of episodes of your podcast. I started listening fairly recently though. And it seems to me that often what you're talking about is not just about people finding work that they love, but about really raising the entire, the whole of their quality of life. And here's my question for you. How do we know when, uh, when to just soldier on in life, tolerating things that we don't like for other reasons? We tolerate them for other reasons. Um, and when do we let dissatisfaction drive us to something better i mean how much pain ought to be tolerated for the sake of being a mature adult and how much can we realistically hope to improve situations um, that we are dissatisfied with thanks a lot bye now is that a great framing of that question or what i mean we can land there and sit there for not only the the rest of the show but for the rest of the shows throughout 2013 when do we leave? when is the pain too great well you know i write a lot about divine discontent that sense of restlessness that we have and when it comes to pain i talk about the the nest the eagles make you know they build these great big massive nests and they use thorn brush and leaves and fur and things in there then to make it soft and comfortable and then they hatch their little eggs well those little eaglets when they're about 12 weeks old mom and dad start taking the the fur and the leaves out of that nest and all of a sudden those thorns are kind of exposed and uh, pretty painful and then they kind of fly by with tasty morsels of food just out of reach and those little eaglets are thinking what's going on here mom and dad don't like me anymore this is tough this is a painful situation they ultimately get up on the edge of the nest and they look over and they think, oh my gosh, you know, if I leave this nest, I'm going to crash on the rocks below and bust my brains open. But you know what happens. Ultimately, they decide something's got to be better. The pain increases, the hunger increases. They go off the edge of the nest only to discover they don't crash on the rocks below. They learn to fly. Brand new experience that takes them places they never dreamed of going before. Well, I think that God sometimes allows circumstances in our lives not to leave us ultimately in pain and hunger, but to get our attention and prompt us to take action. Do something else. Go somewhere else. Try something else. 
So I really think if it's a continuing sense of being in pain, we need to take the initiative. I don't think that's a place we ought to stay. Now, there's certainly going to be times when there's something unpleasant in what we're doing. I mean, we all experience that. And so I don't expect us to be like a ball in a pinball machine where, boom, something happens and we go in another direction at the drop of a hat. But if you've been experiencing pain and discomfort in your job, you know, for six months, I think that's a good indicator. You need to look at some other options. It takes too much of a toll on us. And when we think about finding something that we enjoy, this is not about, you know, everybody's going to just end up, you know, sitting on the front porch, fan on their face, eating lollipops. I mean, people enjoy different things. I mean, I, I, uh, there were some guys right next door to us. It's just one field over. And there was a team of guys were putting on a new roof over the weekend. It was hilarious listening to them sing and laugh and joke. They were obviously having the time of their lives putting on a roof. Do I want to put a roof on, be up there in the hot sun or the cold in the winter, hammering away on my knees? No. But I'm, I'm thrilled to death that some people really enjoy that. That's not a lesser kind of thing or something that nobody would enjoy. There are people that enjoy that. So don't assume we'd all move in the same direction if we really follow our heart's desires, the things that we're passionate about. That takes us in very individual paths. And I think it's very legitimate to move in the direction of where our desires are taking us. Even the Bible says that. Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Not just the necessary the bare bones necessities know the desires of our hearts. So I think our pain and misery and frustration and discouragement ought to prompt us to find some new solutions. Always. Well, Chris from Atlanta says, Dan, I really love your podcast. Find out very motivating. Can you recommend any books or resources to help me with networking and maintaining business relationships? I'm a strong ass and find that networking type skills do not come naturally. So would appreciate any guidance you have. Sure. Can I recommend books or resources to help with networking and maintaining business relationships? Let me give you three. I could go on with a long list. Let me give you just three. Incidentally, if you want to check out my reading list of why I recommend books and I consider, you know, books to be the single primary source. I mean, the, the, the primary source, yes, not the only one, but the, the primary one, if you want to change your level of success, I don't know how to do it quicker. You can change your level of success dramatically in six months if you just read great books. So I've got a list of books that I recommend. If you just send a blank email or anything, if you want to, but send it to reading at 48days.com, you'll instantly be taken to, you'll get a autoresponder that takes you right to my reading list on our site, why I recommend those books. So I got a lot of great books there. Here's what I would recommend for networking and maintaining business relationships. How to win friends and influence people. Dale Carnegie, old book, think and grow rich. Napoleon Hill, another old book, linchpin, Seth Godin, how to make yourself a linchpin, that key ingredient in relationships, in a work environment, you can do that. Those are the three I recommend. How to win friends and influence people, think and grow rich, and linchpin. Greg from Pittsburgh says, Dan, I love the show. Respect the advice you give. I have a question about pricing. I'm starting a company to assist small businesses and entrepreneurs find manufacturers for their hard goods. 
I've been in sourcing, operations, contract manufacturing for 20 years, enjoyed the creative aspect of innovation, seeing a product go from concept to the store shelf. I want to help others realize their product dreams. My question is how to price my services. I'm still trying to land my first client through trade shows, et cetera. Should I price it by the job or in stages or phases? For example, phase one, locate the supplier, then get them qualified. Phase two, get prototypes produced and approved. I want to make it affordable for a new startup, but be appropriately compensated for all the time I will put in. Greg, well, Greg, I I think you're going to find that service difficult to sell to startups. I mean, it's a valuable consulting service, but small businesses just don't have the cash flow to fund it. I think you'll spend way too much time and effort, you know, trying to eke out small dollars with startups. But what I would do is I'd target businesses that are really like in a second stage of growth businesses that are already maybe in the one to $5 million annual range. I mean, they have a product, but it, they have a cumbersome and expensive method of production. They're ready for rapid growth. You can help them make the proper connections for that. That's where I would target what you're doing. I mean, I, when I was building my company years ago, I wanted to do leadership development seminars. Now I could have promoted those, to just individuals off the street or, or targeted small businesses, which really is where my heart is, but it's just too tough to make, to create a financial model to make it work there. So I went after major companies and I did those workshops and seminars for General Electric, Deutsche Bank, NFIB, Department of Corrections in Tennessee. I mean, other major companies like that where they didn't bat an eye at writing those big checks. I think you're going to find yourself needing to go to companies that do have the ability to write the checks and then I would position yourself, as you describe, where you price phases. Phase one, locate the supplier that would be appropriate for them, you know, get them qualified, you know, maybe $3,500 for that. I, I don't know. You have to determine it in terms of how much time that really takes. Get the prototypes produced and approved by client. That may be a $10,000 process. If you really want to get creative, I mean, you could take a small fee and then partner in the increase. But now that that's a pretty uh, it, it's innovative, but it's also risky in some ways and involves a lot of ongoing contact. But if there's a company that you really want to help in that growth phase, yeah, I mean, I'm always open to proposals like that where we're going to take a benchmark, and then somebody gets 10% of the increase over the next 36 months. Yeah, that's not an unreasonable proposition, and what you're describing would be make you a candidate for that. Jay Abraham, one of the old gurus in marketing, made millions of dollars doing exactly that. No fee at all, but they just benchmark where a company was. He took a small percentage of the increase. And because he's a marketing genius, he would help companies increase dramatically and get paid as a result in doing that. Jay from Hershey, Pennsylvania says, Dan, I'm looking at triple. Now, this is a pretty interesting setup here. So hang with us through here. See what, see what you think about this. You can shoot me your comments. I'm probably missing something in this. Jay says, Dan, I'm looking to triple my income within the next two years. I work at an insurance company and am also taking a tax professional course with H and R block. The pay at the insurance company is subpar. My wife and I are working the total money makeover steps as well. Could you offer some advice or helpful tips? I work full time and want to be a tax pro part time. While my wife works at a boarding school, working 12 days on, having two days off biweekly. I want to triple my income so she doesn't have to work such a draining job. 
and I want to be a provider as well. I listen to the, your podcast every week. Follow Dave Ramsey. You guys are true, truly a blessing. Thanks. Talk to you soon. Are you on Twitter? Well, not really. Yes, you, you can get on 48 Days Team Twitter and get lots of updates. Our team sends things out. I'm not personally actively involved there, but we want to you know, make sure that you're getting updates on things that may help you. Now, as for your question, here's the deal. You want to triple your income in two years. That is a major accomplishment. And here's the deal. Let's kind of walk through this real quickly. That is not likely to occur from just doing more of what you're already doing. Now, let me kind of unpack that a little bit. Most people are going to get a 3 to 4% increase per year if they just stay at the same company. To get even a 10% increase usually requires changing companies. To get a 50% increase usually requires changing industries. You're talking about a 100% increase and more. To do that, you're likely going to have to dramatically change your income generator. You know, as an example, if you're working for a company, you have to generate three to five times what they're paying you. So if a company pays you $40,000, it's not that you're bringing in 41,000. That would be a stupid business plan on their part. You ought to be generating, you know, 120, $150,000 for them, for them to pay you 40. Thus, it stands to reason if you break out of being an employee, you should be able to triple your income. If you're being paid $20 an hour, as an example, as a, a salaried graphic designer, yeah, you could reasonably expect to charge $60 an hour as an independent designer. But let's say that you make $50,000 now. Do you have the potential to make $150,000, triple your income working as a tax advisor with H&R Block? Well, absolutely not. That's not going to happen. So, so we kind of have to wipe the slate clean here and say, what unique skills do you have that would position you to make if you're making 50 now that you can triple it, that you can go from there to 150. It's going to have to be dramatically different. Now, now there are ways to do this. I mean, I just spoke at a conference out in Vail, Colorado to some, to a group of speakers. And what I used as a model was this. I said, what if you're charging $2,500 per presentation and you get booked 20 times this next year, that's $50,000. That's a reasonable speaking kind of scenario. $2,500, 20 times a year, $50,000. What if you want to make a lot more money than that? And what I did is I walked them through the process of how to leverage intellectual capital through doing, you know, workshops, live events, affiliate links, referral fees, those kind of things, product sales, you know, creating your own audio, other kind of products. I walked them through exactly this scenario. How can you go from 50000 to $150,000? Got rave reviews on that. As a matter of fact, the, the organizer of the event said that he would personally have written a check for $100,000 for what he learned from me during that presentation. But yeah, you can do that, but, you, but you're not talking about just, you know, working more hours or doing a little better job, you don't triple your income. You have to really dramatically change your income generator. And I think that with what you're describing, you're going to have to look to do that if you want to, in fact, triple your income. Well, Eric says, Dan, I've read your books, listen regularly to your podcast, blog my questions about product creation. 
I have a product in the gardening industry that I think would be great. However, it will need to be designed and I'm not a designer. How do I go about finding someone to design it for me? Also, I need to get a patent first. Also, do I need to get a patent first? And if so, wouldn't that be hard because the product has yet to be created? Thanks for offering your wisdom and insight to others such as myself. Okay, you've got a gardening product. Here, in terms of getting a prototype made for that, that is not complicated. I mean, just if you just Google product prototype company, you're going to get some good sources for doing that. There are plenty of companies out there, so it doesn't matter if it needs to be made out of you know, tin or metal or plastic or paper or wood. There are companies that can make that. It's not likely that a patent would mean much. Now, now here's why. If it's a gardening product, you know, say it's a new trowel or a little fork to weed your weeds out or whatever, it's likely going to be a design patent, not a utility patent. If you're going to come up with the new, next new Polaroid camera, that would be a utility patent. That's different. There's a mechanism that has to work and pieces moving and so on. Design just simply means you, you design something that's a little better than what we have now. And those patents really don't carry a lot of weight. And yes, you do need a pretty complete product to get an effective patent. I'm going to give you some tips here. If you, if you want to check out you know, patents that may already be had, just go to USPTO.gov. That's the United States Patent and Trademark Office, USPTO.gov. You can research on there. This used to be closed to commoners like you and me, but at this point you can go on there and you can research and see if there are patents that are close to this. That would be one thing to do. But the real issue here is not protecting your idea. The real issue is how are you going to sell it? I mean, most people put way too much emphasis on developing their product or idea, you know, getting a patent and not enough on marketing. Now, here's how I lay this out. And I'll put this in the show notes so you can actually just go there and review it. Here's how I lay out if you have a new product. 2% of your challenge is protecting your idea. 2%. That means getting a patent, trademark, copyright, whatever. All right. 8% of your challenge is, is it a valid idea or product? Do we really need it? I mean, you can patent square wooden wheels but nobody's going to buy them. 8% of your challenge, is it a valid idea or product? Okay, well, you've got 2% protecting the idea. 8%, is it a valid idea? 90% of your challenge, what's your marketing plan? How are you going to sell it? You know, are you going to take out ads in gardening magazines? Are you going to go to uh, gardening shows? Are you going to speak? Are you going to, you know, have an online presence where you have it as a bonus item? You could... You know, have it be an add-on item when somebody buys a Happy Meal. They get one of your products. I mean, I don't know. But be careful about spending a whole lot of time protecting your idea. The real issue is, can you make money selling it? And how are you going to sell a million of those rascals? I'd spend my time and effort there rather than on the trying to protect it side. Got a lot of other things. I mean, go to go to the United Inventors Association get some great help there inventors digest is the best magazine in this arena i mean make yourself familiar with this but i mean i love the idea go ahead and do something but focus on marketing it how are you going to sell a hundred thousand of those little rascals that's what i would be looking at 
let me, let me grab another uh this is an audio here let's this is won't won't take long here let's listen to this question other women and we decided we want to do some volunteer work in the community we can't quite decide on whether it be collectively or individually we're gearing towards the collectively though and we want to keep our group together more importantly so we seem to be at odds on um, just what area to go into and I'm wondering do you think it's more of a um, issue of just being afraid to get started or is the area that we go into a pretty crucial decision thank you okay the question was a group of five ladies together they want to do something worthwhile humanitarian caregiving and uh, having a trouble agreeing on what to do what what you do is really not very important now just i mean if you decide that you're going to help get clean water to africa i mean there are thousands of organizations that are doing that i mean what you do is going to be a small part of a very big picture that's going to be true in anything if you decide you're going to help out with habitat for humanity I mean, there are thousands of houses being built in any given weekend around the country and the world in that program. I don't think it really matters a whole lot. The real issue here is you guys are going to feel like you're contributing. You're going to enjoy the process of doing something together. And, and yeah, I think it makes it has merit to do it together. But I think what you're looking at is how it contributes to the dynamics and the, the sense of uh, camaraderie and doing good as you do well in your little group. I don't think the real specifics of what you do are significant at all. Just just decide on doing something. You may choose one single mom who's having a hard time and come up with creative ways to help her get her house you know, remodeled and in shape and a better car to drive and a place to keep her kids while she goes out and job hunts. I mean, you just decide. But you know, just get in the game. I've been involved in a lot of groups like that. And uh, I don't think the actual specifics really are the issue here. Luke from Duggar, Indiana says, love the podcast. Listen religiously. Jeez, I assume that means that on Sunday mornings, instead of going to church, you're listening to my podcast. Well, probably not. Anyway, Luke says, I've heard it takes 10,000 hours to master a skill. You suggest a major life and career change can be made in 48 days. I'm in a period of transition from a nonprofit job to starting a business. So far, it's taken longer than 48 days, but less than 10,000 hours. But I've yet to even pay myself a decent wage. How long does it really take to learn to run a business? Well, I think you could be up and running profitably in six months. Now, do I think that you can begin a new season in your life with something new in 48 days? Absolutely. But now I've never implied, I hope, that in 48 days, you'll be, you know, fully up to speed, the best that you'll ever be, the top of your game. In 48 days is where you start, and then you go from there. But I think even if you're doing something on your own, you ought to be up and running profitably in six months, refine your systems and areas of profitability, you know, at a year, continue doing that, and really hit your stride in about five years. Now, if we kind of look at that a little bit, what is 40 hours a week, 50 weeks a year for five years? Hmm, that's 10,000 hours. We're back to the 10,000 hours. Yeah, we see that verified again and again and again. 10,000 hours is a pretty reasonable shot to become remarkable at something. If it's singing, playing the piano, playing the guitar, 
being a golfer, raising dandelions, I mean, being a coach. I mean, the 10,000 hours is where you are likely to really separate yourself from the pack. So be patient with that. That doesn't mean that you're doing nothing significant in the meantime. You can be getting great from day one. Set yourself apart. And remember the definition of success that we use is the progressive realization of worthwhile goals. So you can, by that definition, be successful day one. Because success is a direction, not a destination. Well, let me grab a couple more here, perhaps just one. This comes from the Netherlands, the name I-L-S-E. Now, that would be Isle, unless it's pronounced differently as a name. could be Ilsa, but uh, Isle, we'll we'll just, uh, whichever way I apologize about mispronouncing your name. She asked, I've been listening to your podcast. I'm a 31-year-old physiotherapist from the Netherlands with the opportunity to start a company with my partner. We both got good jobs and want to keep those until our company takes off. We want to practice with a different framework than others to distinguish us from the rest. But we don't want to sign contracts with health insurance companies who normally reimburse these sessions to people. How do you sell a product or service like that? How do you sell something that people are used to being reimbursed for? Above that, we've got a seven-month-old baby. How do you combine starting a company with family life? What are the pitfalls? I'm thinking about a way to get a constant cash flow. Should we try to get that from our own company or use the money from our current job to provide constant cash flow? Wow. Let me take one part of your question. And that is, how do you do some provide a service that people are used to getting reimbursed for? That is not uncommon at all. I mean, when we look at, you know, people are used to getting reimbursed when they go to the doctor, they get some kind of an injury or sickness. They're used to having insurance take care of that. But that's really closely related to personal training where you really want to become excellent physically or you want excellence in a particular area of sports or recovery from an accident or dealing with deteriorating mobility with old age. I mean, those would all be things that as a physiotherapist or, uh, you know, physical therapist as we call them here, but physiotherapy would deal with, and it's not unreasonable to do that totally outside of insurance companies. Here's an example. Counselors expect to get paid via insurance companies. But many companies have plans and to cover counseling needs of their employees. But what about coaching? Somebody just wants to increase in personal excellence, really create a life plan. You know, I've never built an insurance company. I'm totally outside third-party pay systems and have, you know, all the coaching clients that I want who don't expect to somehow bring their insurance into that they're used to doing that i mean we're even seeing dentists that are choosing to go to self-pay clients or physicians that choose to have a concierge practice where people just pay a a yearly fee and then they get their care from the physician you know as part of that annual fee and that's not something that an insurance company is going to take care of but Positions moving to that rather than dealing with the mess of insurance violence. So I don't think there's anything unreasonable at all about uh, having your physiotherapy practice outside of traditional insurance and then just target who are the kind of clients that you would be looking for. Position yourself as a high-end thing. People have discretionary income. They'll pay readily for your services. Love the model. One more, one more. Yeah, I don't have time for one more. Man, I got one here I'd really like to share about a ropes course. Guy wants to start his own ropes course business. I'll save that for next week. Hey, I want to remind you the 
Wisdom Meets Passion Cruise coming up in February. Join us on that. We're having more people sign up every day. It's going to be a great time. Just check out the link, the 48days.com site. be a great way to start 2013. Explore the 48days.net community. As I already said, we got about 12,000 people over there. These are movers and shakers, rule benders, entrepreneurs, new thinkers. If you're part of that group, check out the action there. we got a lot of exciting things happening, and you can tap into a whole lot of brain power. Thanks for being part of this community. I love this time of the week where I get to go through your questions, keep them coming in, sharing ideas that will allow us all to grow together as we are finding or creating work that is meaningful, purposeful, productive, and profitable.